Welcome to another edition of Mr. Nice Guy. I'm Ben Slowey. Today on the show I have uh, a very darling friend of mine. Uh, she uh, studied um, political theory uh, with an emphasis on social politics. Yeah. I think I said that right. Uh, but um, she and I uh, have become friends uh, through the wonderful uh, uh, application, uh, okay, Cupid. Wow, really putting me on blast. There. I okay, <laughs> okay. You were the only, one and only connection I actually made on okay, Cupid when I had it. Um, I've since removed myself from all those dating apps, but uh, you were a keeper. After I met you, I was like, I don't need this shit anymore. Right, right. That's typically how people feel after meeting me. Clearly, yes. So. <laughs> Alyssa Mazur, welcome to Mr. Nice Guy. Thank you. Happy to be here. Good. How is your day going so far? It's been an adventure, yeah. hasn't it? Tell me about your uh, travels. Uh, well, you know, God, this morning was just so much fun because now with my work schedule, I don't like fall asleep until two or three in the morning. Nice. <laughs> and so then I wake up at 7.30 and make myself look lovely Fabulous. to drive up to Milwaukee and uh, see, well, you know, I had to come up to the city because I have ADHD mm -hmm. and I got to get that good Adderall prescription, mm -hmm. um, which is fun. Um, but then since I'm here, mm. we just get to see each other. Of course. Yeah. Right. And we, what more appropriate than make it into a podcast. Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, you're in Beloit now. Yes. Um, Beloit, Wisconsin. Beloit, the, Wisconsin. <laughs> I don't know what it, what, what's a good way to say it. The underbelly of Wisconsin. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right on the border situated right on the Illinois border. Um, yeah. Uh, so. You are originally from California. Yeah. Uh, what brought you out to Beloit? Well, I actually went to Beloit College, which is a small liberal arts school in the town of Beloit. I was really, my high school was 4,000 people. Mine was about 3,000, it was pretty right. big, yeah. Right, and <laughs> yeah. I just, I could not thrive in that environment. Oh my god, well... Right, I need more individual attention. Yeah, yeah. I need, I need to be noticed more. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so I just, I really wanted to go to a small school, and I have some of my mom's family lives in Milwaukee, uh, and so it just worked out that Beloit was the right place for me to go. That, that makes sense. Yeah, um, and then it's cheaper to live in Wisconsin than it is. than to move back to California immediately yeah. after graduating. Totally. It um, yeah, it was cheaper for me to go here at UWM right. than do in state in Illinois. Right. Um, which, which is insane. Very ridiculous. Um, I don't I didn't mind it though because I did want to get away from Chicago, um, and it was kind of like a joke back home that like. Going to any Illinois like big school would be like going back to high school because oh, really? like so yeah. many people from my high school stayed in state. Right. But you know, went to Milwaukee because it wasn't too far, uh, cheap as far as college tuition goes. But um, and then what uh, got you into the degree that you eventually ended up pursuing? Right. Oof. Well, it was really funny because. I was, like, I was always kind of, like, politically and socially aware. I feel like, um, 
I, I mean, maybe this isn't fair to say, but I feel like most women have to be. Sure. Um, when you're realizing like the way that you get treated by men, uh, even as like a young woman. Um, and so I was always kind of like socially aware. Um, and <laughs> so I wanted to be a creative writing major because um, I've just always been a writer mm -hmm. and I wanted to write books. Um, and the summer before I went to college, I got my wisdom teeth taken out. Nice. And it was fun. I would do it again. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> well, so I just, I sat on the couch for seven days and watched The West Wing. Oh my, I had, my mom loves that show. Right. I think we've talked about this. Like, <laughs> yeah. I had never seen it before in my life. And it was on Netflix, and it was like, oh, well, The West Wing is one of the best written shows in the history of television. Mm -hmm. You have to watch The West Wing if you want to be a writer. And I was like, okay, I'll watch The West Wing. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of ignited in me this, like, I, there's this episode where all of these young, these 18-year-olds in New Hampshire are standing up to vote for the very first time. Sure. They're going to be the first voters of this cycle, of this election cycle, mm -hmm. and it's their first time getting to vote. And I, I just, like, started crying. Oh, yeah. Like, it was such a moving moment on the show. Um, I was also on Vicodin, but... Right, yeah. <laughs> but that uh, kind of makes everything just feel and seem super Super amazing. important, yeah. So, yeah. But I was just, like, uh, it was really... And, and now I rewatch The West Wing all the time, um, and it holds up. Does it? It, it holds up. I, and it, so, so, you know, it was so important to me, and then I actually got into college, and I randomly signed up for a political theory class, like, like the last class I signed up for, sure. like I need something else to fill my time. Mm -hmm. And I, w I just fell in love with the professor, and I fell in love with just the whole class, um, all, the, all the reading, all the work, everything that we did, everything that we talked about. And so I declared political science by the end of my first semester there. Wow. Yeah, and I stuck it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, and you're going to grad school soon. Um, yeah. And yeah, tell me a little about tell me about uh, your plan uh, moving forward now. Right. Well, I'm very lucky to have been accepted into the grad program at University of California at Santa Cruz. Congrats. Thank you. Yeah. yeah so I'll be working towards my PhD. It's a six-year program. Wow. Ooh. But the nice thing about a PhD is... You better get comfortable. I know, I know, exactly, yeah. right? The nice thing about a PhD is that it's typically funded, and so um, all my tuition is paid for, they give me health insurance, mm -hmm. um, and then they give me a little bit of a paycheck, too. Awesome. Yeah, which is really nice. Like, I'm not going into debt mm -hmm. to continue my education, which is what I wanted. Like, sure. I thought about getting a master's degree, but I just would pay so much for something that I don't necessarily need mm -hmm. um, and because what I want to do so so this this program is like a PhD in politics yeah and it's phrased that way uh, because everything is political right mm -hmm. and everything you can apply political thinking to anything and so yeah. you want to be able to have these kind of uh, this, this kind of like base understanding in order to apply uh, the 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 undercurrents of this all just sounds kind of like random, but it, but it, it's about you know applying uh, concepts of politics as we understand them to lots of different disciplines. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, so like my research that I completed in undergrad has to do uh, with. Um, well, it's it primarily about abortion and um, the argument that uh, you're not 
free. You're not free unless you can access an abortion. You're just not. Yeah, that's true. Uh, if you're forced to have a child, if you cannot choose whether or not you'll have a child, you're not free. It's oppression. It's oppression. Um, but, you know, in, in America, we have this concept of negative freedom that says the government can't tell you what to do. Like, the government can't get involved in your life. Like, they can't tell you what school to go to, what church to go to, what food to eat, etc. Yeah. Um uh, beyond, you know, a certain limit. Um, and so I argue in my paper, theoretically, for positive freedom, where the government directly intervenes in order to combat social oppression, right? Because, so for example, technically, like the, technically, everyone has access to public education, right? Yeah. right? But where you live, and meaning the tax bracket you're in, and uh, how much money is going to the public schools in your area mm -hmm. completely depends on the quality of education yeah. you get. Yeah, it's it's kind of where that equity uh, right. plays in. Yeah. Exactly. And so, what if the government intervened to make education more equal, mm -hmm. right? right yeah. And so the same thing applies to abortion and to healthcare broadly. What if the government intervened to provide uh, healthcare, to provide uh, the infrastructure to get to a doctor, uh, the, uh, you know, the opportunities in a person's job to mm -hmm. be able to leave their job and go see a doctor, yeah. you know, and so on and so forth. And so it's all just kind of, it's all about applying these like political thoughts to real life situations. Like for me, it's all about being, being like applicable in the real world because yeah, I don't, I don't want to just like, I mean, I do want to write books, you know, I want to like keep writing my thoughts and my theories and be able to publish them. But I also want to be able to do work that has direct impact on real life. Yeah, absolutely. That's, right. Yeah. And that's kind of where the, that's sort of the impact of culture that plays into how you can make real change. It's mm -hmm. like when you think about art that makes political statements, right. social and all statements, art does. it does. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's the whole reason why people make art is right. to express some kind of idea or concept in an abstract way right. in a way that speaks emotionally right. to others. Um, and you want to do that with through writing, which yeah. is super dope. So have you like, other than like what you've written through uh, like school and like right. assignments and stuff, have you like written leisurely as of like, as of yet? Yeah, not, um, not so much like a lot of because because so much of it is um is like evidence-based like i have to do so much reading to gather all of this uh like background information like my almost 60 page thesis i used almost 200 sources Jeez. yeah and so it's a lot of it's like a lot of <coughs> a lot of background information that you need like you need to build on previous theories that people have already written yeah. you need to like a lot of the research i did was into actual laws like i read actual laws which is boring but yeah. it's surprising like the things that you actually read and find that so many things are so prohibitive mm -hmm. like technically and this is something that's happening right now too like technically because of roe v wade abortion is legal everyone yeah. technically technically has access to an abortion right. but 
there are tons of states where there's only one or two abortion clinics yeah. in the whole state. Right. There are tons of places where like, and now, now people are, you know, making it illegal yeah. and functionally illegal, especially with this heartbeat bill. Like something I talked about in my research is like one of the main ways that they make abortion functionally illegal is by these heartbeat bills by mm -hmm. saying that when you have, um, when, once you're up at six weeks, when, once, because heartbeat is the wrong way to put it. By the way, it doesn't have a heartbeat. It's an electrical pulse. There's no heart. Sure, yeah. It's oh, it's right. this big. It's a, it's like a, it's tissue. You right, know? It's, right, exactly. Right, yeah. So, so, um, but but six weeks of pregnancy means you know you can't have an abortion anymore, which is before most people with uteruses know that they're pregnant. Mm -hmm. So it just makes it just means you can't get an abortion. Right. It's a yeah. really, it's a really complicated like discussion it's potentially the most divisive controversial topic in american politics today there's a lot of like lasting impact that happens like society like there's a lot of social change that happens through expression of art like expression through art sure uh, because it has that sort of emotional impact on people right um i guess like you know how do you feel like um how do you feel like you know social change does happen through like um, creative writing, which is sort of like your specialty. No. I mean, so, so I'll say on that, like, there are lots of, uh, situations or, or situations is the wrong word. There's lots of, uh, media and written media that is highly, highly influential, like mm -hmm. that completely warps and changes and informs generations. Like, just the one that's been the most important to our generation was probably Harry Potter. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but, but, but Harry Potter, you know, is also like you now, now we grow up and we, and, and now we have Twitter mm -hmm. and now we have JK Rowling yeah. being a transphobe and a racist. Yeah. And so, so, sure. so it's so, like, so, you know, you get, you get all, all these kind of developments, but, but you can also take the, um, media the way it's written and you can look at it as you know an allegory uh, for you, you know there's there's elements of racism there's elements of genocide uh, you know and and all of that is is um, condensed into a more palatable form uh, yes. for children to understand yeah, sure. so that's one example you know there's uh, lots of ways that there's there's lots of ways that that creativity uh, in can can just very subtly mm -hmm. inform people yeah. what's going yeah. on yeah. and it just kind of slips in under the hood my writing now is uh <laughs> it just smacks you in the face mm -hmm. my writing is is like research based um is is arguments of like I'm like I'm a political theorist so I'm not just saying like these are things that are true I'm saying these are the theories that I have about the way the world should be based on X, Y, and Z. Yeah. So, like, I took, um, you know, uh, so, so we have this concept in American politics, in American law, of, uh, I want to, I, it's habeas corpus, which, you know, basically means the way, the way that we apply this in law mm -hmm. is like, you can't, your body cannot be unjustly held. And, and the same, that's the same thing that applies to like, you can't be medically tested on against your consent. Mm -hmm. Like you have 
autonomy in your body. And people, I think another thing going back to um, what you were saying earlier about like um, how things can be technically legal, but like there's a lot of like little stipulations or, loopholes. or yeah, loopholes. loopholes. I think it, it goes back to like reading the terms and conditions. Right. You know, none of us do it. Right. Everyone just says, I agree. Right. But it's, um, you never know what's in that fine print right. or, you know, what is also, you know, just because a law or a legislation is in place doesn't mean that that equity is being granted. Right. Um, which I, I think is important that plays heavily into what you're doing. Exactly. That's, that's basically the point of my theory. Like my, my argument of positive freedom, like it is very much established on the point that just because something is technically allowed to you doesn't mean that you automatically have access to it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I use, you know, habeas corpus and then I'm also using lots of uh, theories from uh, uh, really wonderful feminist scholars like Rosalind Pachewski. I relied on her very heavily in my research. Um, uh, also on, um, oh man, it's going to be so embarrassing if I can't remember someone's name. It happens so often. <laughs> you, should, you, should, you should just see how many, how many names I mispronounce on this show. Right, I understand. Um, yeah. But, you know, theorists like Wendy Brown and, and um, all of these really amazing theorists who, who have come before me, who mm -hmm. are still working and, and who say, you know, like, these are the, the, these are the basic ways that I operate, that my theories are, yada, yada, mm -hmm. and I draw from that yeah. and I write, well, these are my theories. These are the way, this is the way that I'm presupposing that things should work. Yeah. And so that's sure. basically what my argument of positive freedom is, is that we're not, we're not free. We don't have freedom unless you can actually access these yeah, things. Exactly. And this is something that people might have heard from uh, presidential candidate Pete Buttigieg, which when he started talking about it, I was shocked. I was like, he ripped it out of my thesis. Like um, He saw your essay. Yeah, he, he read my... He should have yeah. cited you, actually. I know, seriously, right? Pete? Like, how crazy. <laughs> it's a call out. Yeah, get it together, Pete. <laughs> but it's, it's very true. It's like, you know, we're not... You're not free to go to the doctor. Yeah. You're not free to necessarily get a job mm -hmm. in a lot of cases. Yeah. Like we were just having a conversation about um, like, you know, prison abolishment and yeah, stuff. Like, something I was thinking about was, you know, I'm from California. In California, when we um, had all those wildfires, there are women in, in prisons in Northern California who are trained to be firefighters, who go out and fight fires, risk their lives, for cents a day, yeah. for cents a day. And then yeah. they're not allowed to work as firefighters when they're released from prison. Oh my God. Because they're convicts. Jesus, that's so... It's slave labor. First fucked. first of all, first of all, that's, we talked about how like, you know, yeah. prisons are, you're producing slave labor. Mm -hmm. uh, but aside from that, it's completely dehumanizing. Yeah. Like it's just, it's, it's one of these things that's just like, when you hear it, it's just mind blowing. Just being forced to do so much against your will for right. the betterment of a capitalist system. Right. And so even when even when you're technically free from prison, you're not free you're not, yeah. you're not free to get a job that you're still you were trained. You're still for. in a quote unquote offender. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, there's so many things that you're not actually free to do in a land that really proclaims our yeah. freedom. Right, yeah. And and like I also want to point out that um, you were talking about like Harry Potter being like a good testament to um, you know 
social and underlying societal themes. I think it's a lot. I think it's a big way that a lot of our yeah. generation oh, yeah. learns. Another one. An, another one I think is uh, SpongeBob. Uh, there's actually I was watching this thing about how SpongeBob is actually a very anti-capitalist show. Really? Well, because Mr. Krabs, right? Owner of the Krusty, he's a, a money-greedy, yeah, he's a money-greedy, arrogant, and just super fucking selfish right. crab. Right. I mean, it's funny and it's it's entertaining and it's lighthearted, but it's also like little things like that. If you look at like the grand scheme of how small business owners can operate right. when they're only concerned about profits and they don't give a shit about their workers. Right. Yeah, like yeah, there's yeah. lots of there's lots of media made for children that deals with really adult themes in in ways that makes it more um, understandable for kids. Yeah, right. And like but if you watch it as an adult you just perceive it with that newfound insights that you right. grew to understand. Right. Um, so yeah, um, I, I like, and we'd be opening a whole other can of worms if we were talking about prisons and abolishment and right. stuff, which and that's not, is, that's, needless to say is an incredibly heavy issue. And, and it's also, not my area of expertise. Right. But also I wanted to point out another movie that I just saw about, specifically about the, about wildfires is the movie Wildlife that just came out with, it was Paul Dano's uh, directional debut. Okay. Uh, it came out this past year and it was about... I mean, the story itself was more about, like, a family that kind of, like, gets ripped apart through tragedy um, and loss and whatever. But I remember, like, those, like, the Jake Gyllenhaal, like, he, like, literally, like, he loses his job and he decides he wants to go fight the wildfires going on in Montana in mm -hmm. the 60s. And he's making a dollar an hour. Right. And... His fam, he like, he's he has to leave his family to do it. Right. He he's not even doing it for the money at that right. point. Like, but it's incredible to see. Like, I mean, it, this wasn't even the point of the movie, but seeing how like such a an important job to sustain in the community around you is just so undervalued. exploited, undervalued. Right. I think about. I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is how little we pay teachers. Yeah, and yeah. How, I just had a teacher on the show the other right. day about, and you're saying how just teachers are a very underfunded, undervalued it's, job. It's pretty crazy considering how important they are. Yeah, right. <laughs> but they're, but it's, he was saying like how teachers, a lot of teachers do it for just the moral value that Absolutely, it holds. absolutely. And in the same way, it's like someone who's fighting wildfires right. is doing it because it's some. It's like a service to humanity at that right. point, and it's like something they care about. Yeah, it's yeah. you're doing a job for your moral compass and rather for the pay, which is a right. truly humble and commendable thing yeah. to do. And, and it's important for shaping and sustaining society. In an ideal world, the things that were the most morally important would be paid the most. Mm -hmm. And that's something I was talking to about somebody. I was talking to somebody about um, uh, about going into the medical field, and they were talking about like, oh, but once you're a doctor, you make like a million dollars. And it's like, that's not actually true anymore. Mm -hmm. Like you pay out the ass to go to medical school. You spend all your time doing all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And then once you're a resident, you're making like fucking minimum wage mm -hmm. to, to have an incredibly difficult and incredibly stressful job. Yeah. And they don't really make money until you're a specialist. Right. And it's just one of these things where it's like people 
the, as far as I understand it, the like vast majority of people who go into medicine are doing it because they want to help people yeah. because you know, in some way they love science and figuring stuff out and biology and chemistry and all that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. but they could have done, you know, they could have been an academic if they wanted to do yeah. that. Like they're, they are, they have a passion to care for people yeah. and to be yeah. good to people. Right. And that's like, that's, it's one of the most humane things you can do is right. it's fulfilling to just serve humanity as just for the sake of its of humanity rather than doing it to for your own monetary benefit that's something else that i think about all the time with politicians is that if congress if every federal politician job was paid minimum wage minimum wage would shoot up like the facts like i mean i could go on forever about like minimum wage was invented for the argument that a person with a single income working 40 hours a week should be able to sustain their family. Yeah. Right. That was it. Yep. And that's not And we can't do that. And, um, and a huge a number of, of people parts of the country. a huge number of people making minimum wage are supporting families. It's not kids. It's not people who are just like looking for pocket money. Yeah. It's people with children. Yeah. It's people with bills. And so it's a big deal. Mm -hmm. And then you have uh people in Congress and in the federal government deciding how much money they get to make. And it's just disgusting. Like it's, it's really, it's really heartbreaking too. Like, uh, when, you know, when, whenever the topic of healthcare comes up to have like, to have people who have easy access to healthcare say that it's not important and that people don't need it. Well, and that's, and that's another thing we were talking about yeah. uh, before, um, about how like, one thing I've realized is how things, like, it's something that you have to, that I and other like-minded people have to undo and unlearn, is that our subject, my subject, uh, my subjective reality as a cishet white male is, like, we, we like to think that life is good and that the system is working and that it's okay only because right. we benefit from it and right. that it's suited for us. So nothing bad is happening to you that right. means everything's fine. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's not, like yeah. the argument, like that guy, this was years ago, this congressman brought a snowball into the house or onto the floor of, of Congress and said, you know, like, I have a snowball, so obviously global warming doesn't exist. That, and you that's know? literally, you. Trump literally says, tweets things like that. Right. And where he literally says, oh, it's so cold. Whoa, 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 global warming, like, must, this must be because of that global warming. And it's, 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 it's all sorts of people, like, you were very accurate in saying, like, because, because of the way you experience life, you see things a different way. Right, yeah. And so, you know, like, like, all of, like all of the black trans women that are murdered every year for the reason that they're a black trans woman. Literally for being expressive of their identity. Yeah, like that's just not, you Because know, someone doesn't want to allocate their social influence to a marginalized community. And, and just because they're so hated. Yeah. They're so hated and they have no respect uh, just, just across the board as a black yeah. person, as a black woman and as a black trans woman, like that's three strikes. You're out. Like yeah. it's just, it's just yeah. cruel. I know it's, yeah, it's, it's just pure hatred. It's, and it's just the not wanting 
change to happen or to be real. And it's not just, you know, it's not just that they're murdered. It's, it's you know, can I get a job? Can I get health care? Yeah. Can I find yeah. housing? Like, it's all sorts of things that, like, like you might not have to worry about. Exactly. You're, you're not going to get yeah. rejected from a housing application because of your gender. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Like, all sorts of things. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's something that you really have to check, like, and keep it, not just check once and be like, oh, that's done. Right. You have to check it constantly. It's constantly. It's a continual and like, also, I wash myself, I wash myself all the time. I know make you do, sure, yeah. I, I try to make my, make sure that I'm not overstepping my boundaries in any right. way, shape or form. And that's and something that like I have to do too, obviously yeah. as a white woman, as yeah. a white cis woman, like yeah. that's, it's, it's really important right. when, uh, you know, when, when you present a certain way and when you've had a life that where you've just been very lucky, yeah. like I was trying to explain this to someone the other day where it's like, I didn't earn being born into a family that could send me to college. Mm -hmm. I didn't earn that. I was just lucky. You're yeah. I was just yeah. born. Exactly. Yeah. It's just something you're granted just from how, what society's bestowed you. Right. I want to shift gears um, because I know that this is something that uh, you particularly um, are very uh, uh -oh. passionate about. Um, so you, I'm going to look at, I'm going to point out some oh. of the stickers <laughs> on your, on your, uh, on your water bottle. We got uh Riots, not diets. Right. We have um, body positivity. Eat fascists, not animals. Yes. We got um, red left. A little meme. Right. Uh, That's really good, Karl Marx. He's, so yeah. yeah. Fuck the patriarchy. Intersectionality or bust. Right. Birth is a curse, and existence is a prison. <laughs> That's from uh, the Good Place. Fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> so, needless to say, you <laughs> have no, you have no issue with. Um, being expressive of how you feel, um, it's, you are, it's very important to me. Yeah, no, I and rightfully so. Like it's 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 commendable that you speak your truth and you don't hold back. Yeah, um, something that. Well, I have I have the ability to do so. Yeah, right, exactly. So you like you use your voice and you you make sure that and you also make sure you use it to help uplift other voices too, which is Thank you. An incredible I thing try. to do. Yeah, so, um, how I feel, like, and I guess you can speak to your own, I guess, uh, like, personal experiences or, um, you know, just, like, kind of skills you've acquired, like, from what you, like, have studied in school. Like, like how, what have you found works best with, you know, standing up and speaking out in a public sphere and using right. your voice? Like, what do you feel like, how have you felt to do that in a way that, like, really works and resonates with people? Right, it's... A lot of emotional energy. Um, something that has become a lot more important uh, in the last few years is really realizing when to um, when to step back from your platform because there are other people with the same outspoken opinions as me who don't get to speak as often as I do. Passing the mic, as right. they say. Yeah. Right. That's a great way to put it. Um, I think. It's, it's become a lot more throughout my life, a lot more of a, about a conversation and not just about lecturing people, yeah. um, which is hard to do. Like, 
you know, there's no, there, there are certain things where you don't need to hear both sides. Like yeah. there are certain things where it's just like, if you sit down at a table and have a conversation with a Nazi, you're a Nazi. Like you yeah. can't, like you just can't, like there's, yeah. there's a certain, there's a certain uh, line that's drawn where there are people who are just so explicitly hateful and explicitly Where they're speaking, disgusting. they're speaking rhetoric that blatantly calls for hatred or dismissal or otherwise or death, violence. Like elimination. Against other groups. Right. And that is, and that's like a quarrel I have, a, it's a qualm I have with a number of like talk show hosts or podcast hosts right. that it's hard. It, it's I see them like I respect Joe Rogan as a host, but he gives a platform to some pretty hateful that's people. The, right, that's the problem. Bill Maher does the same thing. Right, like yeah, they may be liberal guys on paper, but right. they're also letting. Miley Yiannopoulos speak on their show. Right, which you, you know? don't need to do. Yeah. Like, you don't need to give platforms to people who aren't learning. Like, they're not changing their minds about anything. Right. They're not growing as people. They're Nazis. And that's something that I've had to even, like, be careful in myself. Because I used to kind of be that in that mindset where, like, oh, like, free speech, First Amendment, everyone deserves to, like, speak their thing. I used to think that. And... Like, I was a very, like, moderate liberal for, like, a long time. We were just talking about this as well. But as you grow to understand the impact of, the social impact of, you know, politicians like Trump or social commentators like Milo or like Gavin McGinnis or right. like other alt-right figures. Nazis. Yeah. Or just seeing how, like, those voices have a real out like social outcome and which contributes to the violence and oppression of other groups seriously you see that there are people like the, those they're setting us back they're preventing yeah. real progress to happen and instead of being like oh yeah i just want to hear what they have to say it's like we know what they have to say exactly you we know? know what they have to say <laughs> and we also know that putting them on a platform is giving them more opportunity to hurt people yeah Exactly. It's just, uh, yeah, it's it's one of these things where it's like they're not everybody, not every opinion is as valid as the next. Yeah. Like, we used to have this thing in media called the fairness doctrine. Yes. Where, yeah. where like, yeah. every side gets equal time. We, uh, yeah, we had to, we, you're, we you're studied, a yeah, we studied yeah. that in media law. Right, exactly. But it's just, it's just not realistic because you can't put someone, like, like people say this all the time about like, oh, well, anti-fascism is like just as bad it's like there's a group of the people left as they've invented right. the term yeah there's a group of people violently calling for the elimination of a certain class and group and race and sexuality and yeah. religion of people yeah. and then there's another group saying that's bad they're yeah. not the same right. yeah it's like what it's like when trump tried to say like during the Unite the Right rally. Right, when right. There were, there's hatred there was on both hatred, sides. Yeah. Fuck that. Right. Like, and I'm proud of Seth Rogen because he, like, literally, like, lambasted that. Like, he tweeted, right. like, why in the fuck are we equating these two? And, right. like, yeah. Yeah, like, it's just, there. there's just no, there's no equating it at all. Like, it's, it's, there. that, that's what's important. Yeah. That's one of the very most important things is, like, drawing a line and realizing what people you can actually talk to yeah. and what people are just hateful. Because there's different discourse that can happen within like different like 
people that hold the same values and beliefs just might have a different school of thought for like right. how to approach that. That's that's little like that's how real progress happens. Right. But when we're talking about people that are on the fringes right. of like these edgy like platforms of like right. trying to say what they can get away with. Right, that's another thing too. Because so so something that's important you mentioned free speech. Hate speech is not free speech. Like you know, and and free speech doesn't mean freedom from consequences. Exactly. And we look at the UWM uh, swastika. Dude. Right. There, it's like we. There was literally actually a there was a so there was a girl that like stole his sign mm -hmm. and she got arrested. Right. And there was a rally the other day about um, there was a rally held for her right. for the her charges to get dropped. Right. Based on that incident. Yeah. But nothing happened to this kid. Yeah. Sure, like he ruined his life. Uh, I mean, maybe. But but he did he had, he did it for he did it to himself, and it's like your your actions hold consequences, and right. you're going to be held accountable for holding it a fucking means, Nazi sign. It just in front means of a, like free speech literally just yeah. means that the government can't put you in prison or kill you for the things that you say. Yeah. Like that's it. Yeah. And so that doesn't mean that I can't walk up to you and punch you in the face. Right. Yeah. Like. Then, so, then I have consequences, yeah. but that doesn't mean, you know, that you didn't deserve it. So I want to bring this back to you. How, what have been like some of your greatest successes standing up to the system? Because I know you have done, you've it's, attended protests and stuff. I know you went to back to Beloit for right. a couple this past semester. It's really hard. Um, so, so I think I, I was lucky enough to be in DC um, for Trump's inauguration and for the original Women's March. Yeah. Um, and that was pretty wild. It was very stressful. There were a lot of people there. Um, but it was really kind of wild to be there and to feel like everybody was really fucking angry. Yeah. Um, that was not something that I experienced a lot in DC. I spent the like five months after Trump was uh, inaugurated uh, in DC. And I was around a lot of people who were pretty happy about it. Um, and it was very, it was really frustrating and disheartening yeah. and obviously you know things have gotten only worse since then um you know you mentioned my college you know most of the the rest of my i guess you would say protest experiences have been uh with my college where it's it's fundamentally a white supremacist institution you have an administration and uh a president and <laughs> the the people behind the scenes yeah. who don't care about students of color mm -hmm. they just fucking don't yeah. they also don't care about disabled students they they profit off of students of yeah. color and disabled students ableism is one of the least talked yeah. about things actually. so this yeah. is the thing this is the thing that happened was my college beloit college posted like this thing about how they have a student athlete with cerebral palsy great you don't get to fucking benefit from all that good news when the campus is hugely inaccessible, mm -hmm. disabled people have just no fucking resources. Yeah. There's no resources, there's no support. The like, when you do get some limited resources, professors don't care about those resources and say no fuck off. Mm -hmm. Like Beloit College is a hugely inaccessible and racist place. Like it's, it just is. And it's something that has come to light and been more exposed in the last handful of years because of the way the world has been, yeah. because of the way the US has been. And you know, we just, so most recently, uh, a, a, you asked me to come to this one. Yeah. So, so most recently, a, a brown Muslim student was p 
posting on Facebook, this was just the day after the New Zealand shooting at that mm -hmm. mosque where all those people were murdered. Yeah. And so this student who is Muslim and who obviously sees members of his community being murdered, like expresses on Facebook the belief that these Islamophobes, these like, that's not, that's not even a strong enough word. Like, you know, like these murderers, these like genocidal maniacs, mm -hmm. like expresses that they don't deserve to live. Which is true. Is something also key point. <laughs> People like us will say that. Right. But we're white. Right. And we can, and that's why. Exactly. So that's the yeah. point. That's the point. <laughs> yeah. That's the point is that I was on, I was on the fucking internet every day saying like, Nazi lives don't matter, you know, can't wait for Trump to fucking die, you know, shit like that. But I'm white, so nobody thinks that it's violent. So you don't get consequences. I don't, in I don't get in trouble. Did. I don't get in yeah. trouble for saying this yeah. shit. So he expressed this opinion. It wasn't a threat. It wasn't, hey, I'm gonna come get guns and kill racists right. or whatever. It was an expression of of how much white supremacy has permeated his life and the lives of all marginalized identities in the last few years. I mean, forever, but especially yeah. more prominently in the last sure. few years. And he was uh, banned from campus and uh, was brought up on charges. And it was just, it, it's just disgusting yeah. to see that there, there were so many situations where Beloit says, you know, we're gonna take care of our students of color. We want to be yeah. an anti-racist campus. Well, you say. Well, at the same time, Mark Moni at UWM says right. he's gonna protect victims of sexual assault, and right. he doesn't. Right. And so, so it's just talking the talk because yeah. it makes you look good. Yeah. You don't have to follow. Right. It's only for it's only for your social presence. Right. You get the benefit of saying like, oh well, I'm really woke and I'm gonna do really good things. Mm -hmm. So give me your money and yeah. come to my school. Yeah. But you don't follow through on it, and it makes your school an unsafe even violent place. Yeah. Hey, I, I voted for Obama, okay? <laughs> so, um, so, uh, um, and then you had a speaker that came that you, So, yeah. so this actually made mainstream news. Um, wow, it's kind of funny that I actually can't remember his name, which is really interesting, um, because he doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. So, well, who was he, I guess? Like, what was his... He's, so he's a far-right speaker. Okay. Um, he's, he was, um, you know, he, he's one of these neo-Nazis, um, and he's, he's on this, like, free speech tour to say, like, I can say whatever the fuck I want, mm -hmm. you know? Um, God, it kills me that I can't remember his name. Um, and, but, but it's also because he doesn't matter and he doesn't deserve a platform. So whatever. Um, I'm sure if you Google it, it'll yeah, be fine. Sure. But he was brought to campus by a very small number of people on campus. And he ended up not speaking because he was scared. Like, well, and, consequences come with your actions. And so, and so yeah. he was scared. He decided to call it off. My theory, my, my honest theory is that he was never planning on speaking. 
and he was using it as an opportunity to say, oh, I can't get a fair shake. There's no such thing as free speech because they won't let me speak. And, and to turn it into an argument of like forcing colleges to give this fairness doctrine, to yeah. give platforms to Nazis. Uh, and and so, so maybe that's a conspiracy theory, but, but that's, that's what I think probably happened. Um, it's, it's really difficult because if you are a school that claims to be anti-racist and to claim that you want to protect students of color, mm -hmm. you cannot bring an alt-right neo-Nazi speaker to yeah. campus. Yeah. Just full stop. Just full stop. You can't do, they don't exist together. Yeah. And then when you have an administration and a president defending that choice and saying like, yeah, this was worth it to us to bring someone with such hateful ideas yeah. to campus just because three or four students asked us to, that isn't, that's, that is, uh, it's, it's, it's acknowledging any kind of validity in in the things that they say yeah. and it's offering a platform and it's making students unsafe. Yeah, right. It's making every student of color on Beloit college campus, a target, a victim. Like it's, it's just huge. Susceptible to Seriously. further discrimination. Seriously. Yeah. Like there have been, there have been hate crimes at Beloit college as long as I've been there. And before like yeah. students of color are treated differently and are marginalized and are abused and victimized and the college, the administration and the president don't care. Kudos to you for standing up against the, the system in that way. Yeah. In the, in, <laughs> in got, the best way you could. They got a lot of money. Uh, from my family, so I'll say whatever the fuck I yeah, want about there you that. Go. <laughs> right, Alyssa. Um, I never feel short with people, but I always feel short when I'm with you. Oh yeah, <laughs> I think it's the hat. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. Um, well, uh, we had a great conversation about social politics. Mm -hmm. uh, it was great to bring also just like instances of it, um, just to understand just sort of like the impact these things have so real yeah. life impact on real people yeah yeah so um so to close out what keeps you up at night oh no <laughs> uh, money <laughs> money, money oh, oh my god snaps to that <laughs> i'm so fucking broke dude um, yeah big mood yeah for real <laughs> um but what puts you to sleep Knowing that there are people like us who want to have these conversations and who want things to get better, who want to talk about uh, social policy, who want to talk about climate change, who want to yeah. talk about minimum wage, who want to talk about government reform, who want to abolish prisons and abolish ICE and take care of immigrants, knowing that, knowing that we're not all mindless drones who don't give a fuck about people. Uh, that stay in our lane when it comes to politics and social change, which we can't keep doing it because we've been doing it for too long. Um, I know I have, and that's why I want to help make a difference in any way I can. There's actually, there is a Jews Against Ice protest going on uh, August 1st at 8 a.m. in Milwaukee. So... I'm happy to see my own community, like the Jewish community, yeah, standing up for because never again is right now. Yes. Kudos to that. Thank you for being on the show. We're Dream Team.
a yeah. very dream team. <laughs> um, yeah, so think about what's happening in your community and what you can make, you know, how be a part of that change. Talk to your Congress people, especially if you're represented by a Republican. Tell them that you're not okay with keeping kids in cages and letting immigrants die. Yep. And tell them that tell them that you're fucking watching and you're listening. Yeah, and that you're not gonna vote for them again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, true. Um, well thank you for watching, Mr. Nice Guy. We'll see you next time. Mr. Nice Guy.